Well, good morning to you. Hope you're doing well. So glad that you're here with us. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to be at verses 25 through 40 um, today. Um, and as you're turning, if you're watching online, welcome. We are so glad that you've joined us. And if you're a uh, visitor with us this morning, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, today, uh, for the sake of time, we're not going to stand and read. Um, there's a lot of verses to cover um, but if you are seated and if you're already turned, let's go ahead and read uh, maybe just verses 32 through 35 as we're seated together, and then I'll pray. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and Spirit, But the married woman is anxious about worldly things. How to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided attention to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you that as we've already been singing, that you, the God of the universe, came in flesh through the person of your Son. Lord, we thank you that you, God, dwelt among men. Lord, we thank you that you died a death that we deserved at the cross. Lord, we thank you that you paid a debt that we can never repay. And we thank you that you rose from the grave. And it's through that victory, it's through the name of Jesus today that we come before you. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would remind us about our devotion to you. God, of your lordship over our lives, Lord, and may your people today, Lord, may we just hear your word, Lord, may we heed to it, Lord, may we give our lives for the glory of your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So can I start with the illustration really quick? I'm a really big movie person, love movies. Me and Megan have an incredible collection at home. I would love, I'd welcome you to our house to see our collection of movies. We love them. We got, had a bunch before we got married and we came together and now we have honestly too many now. <laughs> One of my favorite movies of all time, I have a list by the way, is a movie called Armageddon. I don't know if you've seen it, late 90s, Bruce Willis had a whole cast of incredible people. Uh, and if you don't know the plot of the movie, this is it. Asteroids coming to Earth, NASA sees it. If they don't stop the asteroid, asteroids going to hit Earth, kill everybody. Pretty dramatic, right? So, so here's NASA's great plan. We're going to fly up to space, we're going to land on this asteroid, we're going to drill an 800-foot hole inside of this asteroid, place a bomb inside of it, detonate it. The asteroid explodes into two pieces, misses Earth if it, before it hits a thresh, like a threshold, right? So this, that's their plan. So they, they want to find the best driller in the world to do this, right? So you can't just send somebody into space if they don't know how to drill to do this. So they find the best old driller in the world, who's played by Bruce Willis, and Bruce Willis has this great team of people with him that works and so they go they tell him the plan Bruce is like well I'm gonna go up there but only if I can take my team with me I'm not taking people that don't know what they're doing so so long story short it's successful right that earth saved we're still here right now right the, the the plan worked and I could just stop there but I would actually be missing telling you the most important scene of the movie now you could be saying, well, of course it's when the detonator went off and asteroid exploded, saved Earth, but that's not the most important scene in the movie. See, about an hour and a half before that scene, it's a very long movie, hour and a half before that movie, before that scene, um, 
they, they get all this cast of people. So Bruce says, go get my team. So they get the full team to come to NASA, and it's a cut scene. And the whole team's sitting around the, the conference table, and they tell, tell them everything that's happening. Like, listen, a couple of days, Earth's gone if something don't, doesn't happen. So Bruce says, listen, they want us to go up to space. They, they want us to find the space do a loop around the moon and then land on the asteroid and we're supposed to drill a hole 800 feet into this asteroid that we don't know how that's going to react, right? And I love their reaction because it would be our reaction. They're like, are you serious, right? Like, Is there not another plan? This is NASA for crying out loud. But this is what they all say within a couple minutes of a lot of worry. One by one, they say, Harry, that's Bruce Willis's character. Harry, I'm in. I, I'm, I'm with you. If you say that's what we should do, I'll go with you. Now, to me, that is the most important scene in the movie of Armageddon. Why? Because if that scene doesn't happen, nothing else does. If that team of people didn't say, I am in, like, I, I'm with you, I will go and do that, they would never have done it, right? Earth would have been destroyed in the Armageddon movie. By saying, I am in, they mean that whatever comes with that package of responsibility, right? Whatever that looks like, whatever good or bad possibilities come from this decision, they are 100% fully committed, fully engaged in this decision, in this plan. The reason these characters go through all that training, right? The reason they, they take that dangerous trip, the reason that some of the men are sacrificed, spoiler alert, some die. The reason they, they do all of those things is because they were in. They're in. This devotion impacts every decision they make for the rest of that movie. So what are you saying? Why in the world would you tell me that about Armageddon? I would encourage you to go watch it. It's a great movie. Here's the reason. The same way today in our passage, Paul is speaking about devotion. He's speaking specifically about our devotion to Jesus and how that devotion, that focus, that simple expression of saying, I am in, should impact every decision and action we partake in every single day. One of my new favorite songs of worship right now in the chorus or the bridge says, I'm in, I'm yours. I don't know if two more important words that the church could sing from 2019 than I am in. I'm in. Jesus, whatever comes my way, whatever the cost, whatever it looks like, no matter the difficulty, no matter even if it costs me my life, Jesus, I am in. 100% fully devoted to you. So today, Paul is going to point out that devotion to Jesus should impact every aspect of our lives, including every decision that we make while we live on this planet. And he's going to do this by answering the Corinthians' question about the single and widowed Christian. So our main idea this morning is undivided devotion to the Lord and holiness should guide single Christians' decisions about whether to marry or not. Now before we dive into our text, a few things I just want to point out very quickly to remind us. First is that we must remember that every book of the Bible was written in a specific context to a specific group of people with specific situations that they really lived. And that Paul, nor the rest of the Bible, never contradicts itself. Why do I say that? 
So if, if you open this Bible and go to this text today, let's say on Tuesday night, you got family devotion, you open this text and you just read it without any context. And if you have Ephesians 5 in your head, or if you have 1 Timothy 5 in your head, you're going to think that Paul is contradicting himself. Because it sounds like Paul is saying that marriage is bad, nobody should ever get married, woe are you if you get married. But if you read those other passages, clearly that's not true. Clearly the rest of the Bible says that marriage is a God-ordained institution, right? So that is why our context is important. If we read this passage compared to Ephesians 5, the Corinthians had a specific context they were living in. The church in Ephesus had a completely different con, uh, context. We have a different context in 2019. That's why it's important for us to understand the context of this passage. If you're in the Wednesday night equipped with us, we always say context is key. It's the most important thing. If you don't get context, you don't get anything in the Bible. This leads me to my second uh, reminder really quick. Simply do not forget the background and context of this passage today. So remember, starting in chapter 7, Paul flips his attention to begin answering questions that the Corinthians had. Do you remember that? Go back to 7 verse 1. It says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So at some point, Corinthians wrote a letter to Paul asking questions. We know that at the beginning of chapter 7, Paul begins answering questions about marriage, about the sexual relations between a married couple. Last week, due to the Corinthians' tendency to over-spiritualize all of their decisions and actions, Paul reminds the church to remain and live the life in which God has called them. And it's within this framework today, and it's within this context that Paul continues in verses 25 through 40 with answering the Corinthians' questions about singled and widowed Christians. So again, we say the main idea. Undivided devotion to the Lord in holiness should guide single Christians' decisions about whether to marry or not. So three main points I want us to see today. Number one is, single Christians must have undivided devotion to the Lord in light of his return. Let's go to verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. But if a betrothed woman marries, she is not Sin. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Now, a few words that we need to define as we begin our text. Go back to verse 25. It says, Now concerning the betrothed. Now, what does that mean? In this specific verse, this verse would translate as virgin. You might have a translation in front of you that has the word virgin, or that would be someone who is single and has never had sexual relations. So for us today, that would mean that man or woman, right? But within the Corinthian context, it would have been widely considered as a young, single woman. So if you have an NLT translation, that's what I read all the time at home. I call it the dummy translation because I can understand it. Um, the NLT translation would say, the young woman who you are not yet married. Okay? Second word I want you to see is verse 26. It says, I think that in the view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Now, th these two words, present distress, are widely argued and debated. I mean, there are books about it. 
looked through a lot of them this week. Um, some believe that Paul was simply referencing a specific situation that the Corinthians were going through culturally. So they were being persecuted, maybe something in those lines. So that's one party. Second party is some people, due to the historical records that indicate that Corinth during the first century had an incredible famine taking place culturally, they believe that's what Paul was referencing. That's the second camp. But I would lay in the third camp, which says that Paul is referencing the end of time when Jesus returns. And I'll show you why. Because within this passage of Scripture, he continues to reference Jesus' um, returns. If you, I'll, I'll show you really quick. Um, drop down to uh, verse thir- uh, 29 really quick. Within the context of this passage, he says, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. So what's the appointed time? Jesus turns, right? It's, there's an appointed time when Jesus is going to return for his people. And I'm going to show you again, go to the, uh, verse 31, very end of it. It says, for the present form of this world is passing away. So I believe within the context of 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 40, that Paul is here referencing the return of Jesus Christ when he says about the present distress. So, get our minds around it this morning. Paul here is addressing questions about young single women who are not yet married, and he says that in light of this present distress, in light of eternity with Christ our Savior, it is with his best judgment as an apostle of Jesus Christ for them to remain single. Why? So question this morning, why should they remain single? Paul throughout chapter 7 has been reminding the Corinthians that there is no positive spiritual benefit to changing your current circumstances. For the married couple, it's no benefit for you to get a divorce or not to have sex with your spouse just because you believe it might make you extra spiritual. Here in this passage, for the single woman, she will not become a super Christian if she gets married or remains single. There's no spiritual benefit to desiring a change in your current circumstances. Paul's main concern here then is throughout this chapter in section is one's devotion to Christ. Jesus is the king of the universe. Therefore, be content with where you are and where he has called you. If you would like to get married, there's no sin. However, your main concern now should be to serve and be devoted to your king. Paul says in light of Jesus' return, in light of the end of time, be content with where God has called you and remain devoted to him. He's the primary focus. He's our goal. He's our desire. Drop down to verse 29. It says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So Paul again here is re-emphasizing the point that the Corinthians need to continue to keep their eyes on Christ. Fix their eyes on their king, not the things around them. He's reminded them that this world is not their home. It's not their permanent stay. Since the appointed time is soon where Jesus will return for his bride and bring justice to this earth. And since this present form is passing away, believers then should live this life in light of their future home rather than 
set up camp here in this temporary life. Now, is Paul saying that husbands then shouldn't love their wives or, or that someone shouldn't mourn or rejoice with another? Is it, or is it bad to buy our own things or live life in this world? Of course not, right? And I'm going I'm to just read a couple passages to you. You can write them down if you'd like. This is Paul writing, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's Ephesians 5.25. Listen to Romans 12.15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We know from the Apostle James 1.17 that every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And that certainly includes the incredible things we see on this earth. Anything that's perfect, anything that's good, comes from the Father. And we know from Matthew 5, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket or a stand, and it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, then, let your light shine before others, before others, that's your, your neighbors, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, short answer, of course, all these things are good. It is good to love your spouse. It's good to weep and rejoice with those who are weeping and rejoicing. It's good to have things. It's, it's all right to buy things. So what are we talking about, Paul? What, what are you trying to say to these Corinthians? Here's his point. Do not find ultimate significance in this passing world. The world's passing away. Don't, don't find your delight in this world. If you're a single Christian... Your first priority should not be to find someone to marry. Listen, this is hard to grasp, married couples. If you're married, your absolute number one priority shouldn't be your spouse or kids. Whoa, that's contradictory in life, right? We don't hear that a lot. If there's mourning or joy, you shouldn't spend all of your time just reminiscing in those emotions. If you buy items or do dealings with places or people in the world, your heart and uttermost desire should not be to cling to all of this stuff. Why? Because all of these things are passing away with the present world. Now, isn't this message like so opposite of what we hear? Like, could you imagine that right now at Christmas time? New iPhone's out. You shouldn't buy it, though. <laughs> New computer's out. Eh, it's not good, though. Don't, don't worry about it. It's not going to really fill up your void of emptiness, right? No, it's, it's crazy. Like, when's the last time that you heard... Someone say, you shouldn't drop $5,000 to take your family to Disney World to experience all the joys that little black mouse can offer you. It's just contradictory to our culture. And this is what a very popular modern theologian named Ariana Grande would say in her song, quote, Breakfast at Tiffany's and bottles of bubbles, girls with tattoos who like getting in trouble, lashes and diamonds, ATM machines, by myself, all of my favorite things. Chorus. My wrist stop watching. My neck is flossing. Make big deposits. My gloss is popping. You like my hair? Gee, thanks. Just bought it. I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. First, wonderful lyrics, right? It's what happened to songwriting. <laughs> Listen, this is what the world wants you to know. This is what the world wants you to hear. It's not true, though. 
They want to tell us that all there is is this current life, that there is nothing else. Therefore, we should invest all of our loyalty, invest all of our devotion to this life. But this is what the Bible says. Listen, our main focus as followers of Jesus Christ is our absolute 100% devotion to our King. He alone is worthy of our devotion. He alone is worthy of our efforts, all of our cares, all of our wants, all of our desires. Since this world is passing away, do not set up camp here on this earth. Jesus alone offers everlasting joy and pleasures forevermore. Therefore, fix your eyes on him. So Jesus demands our uttermost loyalty. He says, your love for me should be so great, it should be so significant, so passionate, that every other love of this life seems like a distant shadow compared to your love for me. I'm not going to read it. I would encourage you to read Luke 14, 26 through 27. Luke 14, 26 through 27 picture of what our love for Jesus should look like compared to the things of this earth. Really interesting, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John with me really quick. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. We'll be at verses 15 through 17. So this is interesting. The way Paul concludes this section is the exact same way the Apostle John speaks in this, these two verses. Listen to 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Quote, Believers freely use the world, but do not sink their fortunes in it, since this present world is passing away. Love that quote. Paul's point here is that single Christians must have undivided devotion to the Lord in light of His return. Likewise, all believers must have undivided devotion to the Lord in light of His return. Second point. Second point is second, single Christians can offer undivided devotion to the Lord. Go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So, so Paul, at the end of verse 28, already hints at this idea. He says, Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I will spare you that. Now, I'm not sure about you if you're married in the room. But if I go home today and tell Megan that she is the reason for all my worldly troubles, that is bad days coming. I'm outside, I'm going to be sleeping under a tree, and our dog, happy as she wants to be, is going to be sleeping in my spot and probably looking out the window and sticking her tongue out at me, right? It's going to be a rough day. <laughs> Paul's not saying here that marriage is wrong or that it shouldn't be desired if you're single. Listen, let me say that again. He's not saying that marriage is wrong or that if... You are single, you shouldn't desire marriage. 
He wants to point out that to the single Christian that there are benefits. Listen, there are benefits to being single when it comes to being devoted to the Lord. Now, Paul here has two main contrasts that he wants to expound on. First is, the unmarried man and woman have undivided devotion. Go back to verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Now, drop down to verse 34. It says, And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. Now, I'll dare to say that in today's world, and probably even in this room, singleness is probably not seen as much of a positive. Uh, I know personally it definitely wasn't seen as a good thing, uh, so before I started dating Megan, I was in a four-year relationship with a girl out of late high school, early college, and we break up, and those two years before Megan, I called the dark ages. It was depressing. My best friend Kyle, it was like every Friday night, we were playing video games in my room because there was nothing else to do, and our date night was including me and him going to a Mexican restaurant and just eating, and if we were nice, we might pay for each other's dinner one night, right? It was dark ages in my mind. In my mind, singleness was like a sinking to the bottom of the abyss with no relief, no hope in sight, and I had to do anything that I could to get out of it. But listen, this is what Paul says here. He says, don't be so quick to throw singleness out on its head. There are actually benefits to singleness when it comes to being devoted to the Lord. When you're single, you're not worried about having food on the table for you or your spouse that night. You're not worried if you did something right or wrong to please your spouse you as a single individual are not committed and in a covenant with another person, which naturally takes up much of your effort and time. Now, a little side note, even single Christians obviously have commitments and are busy with worldly affairs. Understand that. Again, I was single for, for a dark age of seasons, right? However, this, the point is that single, singles aren't in a committed relationship of marriage. Therefore, they have much more possibility of being devoted to the Lord. Second thing is the married man and woman have divided devotions. Go to verse 33. Paul says, But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Verse 34. And his interests are divided. Go to the very end of verse 34. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So I want to again reiterate that Paul does not mean that being married is wrong or sinful. He isn't saying that it's awful for the husband or wife to care and love their spouse. Again, we know throughout Scripture that marriage, again, is God's ordained institution. It's the picture of Christ's relationship between him and his church, right? It is, so simply put, it's good to be married. It's good to love and care for your spouse. It is Christ honoring when you do so. The, Paul, the point Paul is making is that married couples naturally have divided cares due to the covenant of marriage. If you're married... You must think and devote yourself to your spouse. It just won't work if you don't. Good luck trying to do it. And biblically, it is a mandate to do so, right? So a married Christian naturally has divided the cares in their life. On the one hand, they want to do everything to the glory of God, reflect Him in all they do, right? On the other hand, they, they must care and worry about their marriage. They must care about their relationship with their spouse. So like next year, 2020, in August... Going on a mission trip to Boston requires much more planning and logistics to a married couple than for a single, right? Just natural. 
Paul again here is reiterating the point that our devotion to the Lord is the ultimate purpose of our lives. He wants believers to do whatever God is calling them to do that enhances their devotion to the Lord, not just to distract them from it. Verse 35. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So this leads us to this truth this morning. Whether single or married, listen, whether single or married, secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever to either to remain single or to marry, make sure that your 100% devotion and focus is on Christ and his mission above all other things. If you're married, absolutely. Today, when you get home, do anything you can to love, support, and care for your spouse. Go wash the dishes today. I'm sure your wife and or husband would be absolutely thrilled for you to do that. And do all those things for the glory of God. But listen, do not get distracted from your ultimate calling, which is your devotion to Jesus Christ. So my devotion to the Lord should lead and guide my every decision and action when it pertains to how I love and care and treat Megan, not the opposite. So listen, let your marriage enhance your devotion to the Lord, not distract you from it. Third point. Our undivided devotion to the Lord and holiness should guide single and widowed Christians' decisions about whether to marry or not. Verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry. It is no sin. So, so Paul here shifts his attention to those who are currently spoken for and engaged. Verse 36, that word betrothed there, different word. It can be translated as fiancé or engaged person. The individual in verse 36 is single but is spoken for and is engaged to be married. So the question is, if single Christians are encouraged to remain single in light of their devotion to the Lord, what about those who are engaged? What should they do? Now, I love the clarity of the Bible because this is what Paul says. If you can't control your sexual urges, you can't contain yourself, you need to get married. There's no sin in marrying for the sake of purity. Just go ahead, put the ring on it, and say, I do, right? And this is something that is so much different than what we hear or might even think. I would dare to say that in most cases today, I know including mine and Megan's marriage, our main concern was, when we're engaged, we're not going to get married until we are financially and uh, career-wise secure, right? I would say that's largely the American idea. Hopefully, we might both have jobs before we get married. That's the goal in life. So in other words, we might think that we should be well-established financially, career-wise, before we get married. But listen, this is not what the Bible is saying. The Bible says is that our purity and holiness before the Lord should be the driving factor in our planning to get married or not. That's controversial, isn't it? <laughs> Marriage for the sake of holiness is right. The biggest encouragement I could say, me and Megan were engaged for two and a half years because we had that mindset of being secure, all these things. This is my biggest encouragement for anyone who's engaged, thinking about being engaged, is get married as soon as possible. I have... Many reasons for saying this, but mainly because we were in love, we were ready to be married, we just was ready, we cannot wait, right? It was, it was, it was eager. And the other reason is because the longer you're engaged, the more the passions of your flesh will intensify inside of you. 
So you and your future spouse's holiness before the Lord matters. And Paul says, if you can't control your passions, go ahead and get married. Verse 37. But who has firmly established in his heart, being no, under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So, so Paul here says to the engaged couple that marriage, for the sake of holiness, is right. However, he says to the engaged single that singleness and holiness is even better. So what we see in this text is that there are some in which God calls to remain single for their devotion, for their devotion to Him. But don't miss the qualifications that He gives. He says that the marriage, refraining from marriage is right only if the decision is settled in the man's own mind. He, the qualification is so important that he rephrases it several times. There must be no compulsion. The person must have control over his will and must have made up his mind not to marry. So don't miss this. Within this context, the focus is on the Corinthians' devotion to the Lord. Paul says, if you have firmly established in your heart, have no compulsion sexually, then it is better for you to remain single. Why? For the sake of your devotion to Christ and his mission in the world. You have much to offer single Christian. So Jesus in his mission, in our holiness, is the first and primary focus when it comes to our decision to marry or not. And I would say it's the first and primary focus in every decision that we make as Christians. 39. Paul says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So Paul here concludes our section with, with answering a few questions about the widowed believer. Question is, what about the widow? Should she remarry if her spouse would pass away? And again, this is where we must remember the context where Paul is speaking to. Because in 1 Timothy 5.14, Paul tells Timothy that he wanted young widows to remarry. But here it seems as Paul would much prefer the widow to remain single. So we've got a grasp reminder on this. In this context of the Corinthian church, Paul wants the widow in Corinth, just like the young single Christian in Corinth, to remain devoted to the Lord. If the widow would like to remarry, let her remarry anyone she would like to, but the one stipulation is that she must marry another believer. But don't miss this. Paul's encouragement to the widow is the same as it was to the single Christian at the beginning of the passage. Our undivided devotion to the Lord and holiness should guide the widow and or widower about whether to remarry or not. If the widow doesn't believe that they should remarry, there are benefits as to their devotion to Christ. But ultimately, listen, the widowed believer should make the decision to remarry based off their devotion to the Lord. Our their 100% focus to Christ in his mission should be the driving factor as to whether he or she should remarry. So what? Let's apply this today with, to us. Go ahead and turn to Romans 12. Just one book over to the left. Romans 12. I have two questions. One is specifically for the single Christian in the room. One is for the, the entire church body. First question, as a single Christian, 
Should I pursue marriage or remain single for the sake of undivided devotion to the Lord in holiness? Say that again. As a single Christian, should I pursue marriage or remain single for the sake of undivided devotion to the Lord in holiness? So, so from someone who has a heart for a single Christian, who's there, uh, I was not too fond of it personally, and people ask a bunch of times, how do I know if I should get married? Who should I get married to? And I've always had a universal answer that, well, if eventually the Lord will lead you to the right person if you, for you, if he wills that for your life, right? Or other way, if when you meet that right person, you just know it. Most things are true. The problem, though, with these answers is that they don't really give help for the current state. Like, what do you do as a single Christian to try to see what God's will is for you with that, marriage, and how should I act, and what should I do in the midst of, of that singleness? If anything today, this passage has told us that singleness is not a bad thing. In fact, in light of Jesus, his mission, our devotion to him, singleness is actually the more preferred route. The news that if you're single today, that you can glorify the Lord and be passionately in love with Jesus and his mission right where you are is amazing news. You can be fully devoted to Jesus in all that you are, resting in knowing that your life matters and that God is using your singleness and holiness for your good and his glory. And here's what Paul has shown us, is that Jesus and our devotion and holiness towards him should be the driving decision maker for us when we decide to marry or not. Simply said, will I be more devoted to Jesus if I remain single or if I get married? Another way to say it, can I remain holy without getting married? Or should I get married for the sake of my purity and devotion to Him? So, I just want to encourage you single Christian today in this passage, Romans 12, 1 through 2. Paul here writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here's my short answer for you, single Christian. According to the word of God, if you are asking the question whether you should get married or not, here's the answer. Completely devote yourself to the Lord. Pursue holiness. Pursue him with all that you are. And through his grace and holy discernment, may he make that clear to you today for the sake of his glory and your devotion to him. Second question. Whether married or single, does my devotion to Jesus Christ guide my every decision and action in my life? Say it again. Whether married or single, does my devotion to Jesus Christ guide my every decision and action in my life? So I just want to remind you this morning, if you're a Christian, that you are a new creation. Amen. You have been bought with the price and you now belong to the king of the universe. Jesus, our rescuer, came to this earth, lived the perfect life we can never live. He went to the cross, died a death you and I completely deserved. He paid our ransom, took our punishment and forgiveness for our sins, and he rose from the grave three days later, completely destroying sin and death forever. And this is what Romans 6 says. If you've been crucified with Christ, we also know now that we will be raised to life in him for what? The glory of God. So this morning, does your devotion to Christ 
direct every decision you make in your everyday life? Does Jesus, His mission, and your devotion to Him direct how you love and care your spouse and family? Does it direct how you look at money and finances? Does it direct you with how you take your vacations? Does it direct you uh, with your direct how you live in your relationship with your neighbors? Does it direct your work in your school decisions? Does it direct where you eat lunch and dinner? Does your devotion to, to Jesus direct every aspect of your life? So this morning, as we come to our time of response, um, my encouragement for every person in the room is this first. If you don't know Christ, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, friend. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in the only one who can change you, can raise dead bones to life, who can save your soul. Look to Jesus today for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're a believer, I encourage you this morning to take a few minutes to look at your own life, to repent of sin, place a fresh commitment to the Lord. And as we respond to communion, song, and giving, it'll be a time of just heartfelt praise. I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team up here to get ready. So this morning, um, we're going to do communion just a little bit different. It's going to be more of a time of response of worship. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to encourage you. This is an open table today. It's not a set time. I want you to literally think about your life. Think about where you are with the Lord. Prayerfully consider that. And then, when you feel ready to come up to the table, we're going to have two songs at the end, so you have plenty of time to do this. I want you to come up to the table, get the bread and cup, Take it back to your seat. Sit down. Take it when you feel ready to do it in response to God. And then after you take it, simply stand up and continue to sing with us. Okay? So let me pray for us. And uh, we'll continue to worship. God, what a reminder this morning that our life is not our own. Lord, you have bought us with the great price. You, you gave up your only son for the sake of us, or you, you bought us through his body, through his blood being shed for us. Lord, we thank you that today, since Jesus is raised from the dead, we have been given new life, or raised to new life in him, all to your glory. Oh God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here right now. For my own life, I know this week I've contemplated more and more my devotion to you. Lord, if we're honest, I bet we're just, a lot of us have been distracted this week with life. Lord, we thank you that everything that is good and perfect is from you, Lord, but we confess that we are prone to wonder, Lord. So God, I pray even at this moment, Lord, that you would just refresh a brand new commitment, a brand new excitement in Jesus in our lives and hearts, Lord. But I pray for the, the lost in the room. God, may they hear the good news that Jesus came and died for our sins. And he rose from the grave to give them new life. And I pray today that they would put their trust in you. So Lord, would you do a work in and through us right now? As we come in, in response to for, in communion and song and giving, Lord, may we do it all for your glory and remembrance and celebration of all that you are. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name.